Amen. I, uh, we started a series last Sunday called Unleashing Glory, Part 1, Part 2, 10 Essential Traits or Characteristics of People Who in the Bible See and Experience God's Glory in Their Lives. So check out Part 1 online. But Proverbs chapter 8, verse 17 says, I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me will find me. We're talking about the glory of the Lord, and the glory of God, we said, is the majestic splendor of God. It is the light of God. It's the radiance of His being. It's His manifest presence that comes off as light, and it is life and light. It's like we said, gold. Gold shines. The clearer, the more pure it is, the more it radiates, but it also has a weight, and you measure the value of gold by its weight. And the Bible says that God's presence has immense value. It is a tangible weight of glory. When you walk into His presence, it's not just something you see, but it's something you feel and experience. It has a tangible weight. How many know what that's like to be in a room where you sense the weight that just descends of His presence? So that's His glory. It's the radiant splendor of His majestic being. And are we people that pursue the presence of God. That's what this one is about, being pursuers of His presence. Are we people that value the pursuit of His presence, and do we teach the next generation to value that as well? I said it earlier this morning that we're not here to uh, be uh, a, a church for the sake of people, and we're not here to be a church for the sake of programs. We're here to be a church for the sake of His presence. His presence is our number one pursuit. We pursue people, but it's because we pursue His presence first. He's the one pursuing people. This is not about getting more people in a building. It's about getting His presence into man. It's about to see His presence come down, His kingdom come, His will be done. You know, and as the, man, it was a beautiful moon the other day. I don't know if you saw that or not. But as the moon lights up the sky, uh, as the moon lights up the sky, you know that its light is only a dim reflection of the sun that's on the other side of the world, right? That the moon itself doesn't have light. It is a dim reflection of the true light, which is the sun, right? So uh, you know that the light of the moon is not near as bright as the light of the sun. The pure radiance of the sun illuminates the whole world. But there are creatures that all they know and that all they experience is at nighttime. They only live their life at night by the radiance of the moon and the stars. They live by a dim reflection of what is on the other side. Okay? And that darkness in the, at night, the Bible says that darkness is sin and death. That darkness that covers the, the spiritual life of man is sin and death. And there is a dim reflection, though. There are men who try to find God through religion, through even Christianity. We can uh, have all this religious stuff. We have churches and lights and buildings and programs and pastors and, and all these things that we do. But if you're really honest, those are just dim reflections of what true light in life is really all about. There's nothing like the light of the sun, S-O-N. There's nothing like the true unadulterated light of the sun. And we can put all the programs and churches and pastors and pulpits and worship teams and all of this, and we think that we can light up the darkness of this world and its sin and its diseases of all the things of, of evil, and we can just be a dim reflection. It's just a mirage of really what is what we're looking for is the glory of God. I'm ready to turn the lights on. 
I'm ready to just start, stop walking in the night by moonlight. I'm ready to come out of that place and just say, let's just walk in the light of the sun. And when he walks in the room, man, everything lights up. That's what we're talking about this morning. There is a religion that's formed by man that has the appearance of true light, but it's just a dim reflection. It's based on self-effort and self-works more than the works of the Holy Spirit. And Isaiah 9, 2 says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says in John 12, He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as a light. Somebody say light. I've come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. His light is the spiritual life of men because Jesus is the manifest glory of God. Jesus is brighter than the sun. And just like you can go from moonwalking to walking in the sun, man, when Jesus comes in the room, when he comes into your heart, his light shines on you, and you just can't help but see things differently and walk differently. If you've had that experience, somebody say amen. Look in Exodus chapter 33, verse 7, pursuing his presence. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord, we're talking about pursuing his presence, everyone who sought the Lord would go out. They would go out to the tent, which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent that all the people would rise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. And whenever Moses entered the tent, a pillar of cloud, right, think of like a tornado, a pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise and worship each at the entrance of his tent. But thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Joshua would not depart from the tent. What's going on here? This is before uh, the tabernacle is built, before they're about to sojourn to the promised land, before God makes this whole tent called the, uh, the, where the Ark of the Covenant would uh, stand, the tabernacle, before God would dwell in the midst of people, before Israel was consecrated to giving their lives over to God. Moses had to put a tent where God would show up, the tent of meeting outside the camp. If you wanted to pursue his presence, he wasn't in the middle of the people. God was outside the people. So Moses began to intercede for the people. He would go outside that, that camp, outside the midst of Israel, and God's presence would descend. His glory would fall down. And Moses would be enveloped in that cloud in his glory uh, and speak with God face to face. Now we believe more than likely, he was speaking with the pre-incarnate uh, pre Jesus. He was speaking with Jesus face to face. And then when he would hear what God would have to say, he'd go back to the camp and say, hey, this is what the Lord says. But his servant, his, his armor bearer, his right-hand man, Joshua, would remain at that place. He stayed there near the presence. Joshua began to pursue what he saw Moses pursuing. He had a heart for the presence of God, and Joshua would remain near, like we were saying this morning, he would linger and position himself near the presence of God. What a young man. He would position himself near the presence because he saw the value 
of the glory of God. Maybe he didn't want the meeting place to be empty. Maybe he wanted to wait there just in case God said something while Moses was away. Maybe he wanted to guard the presence from people who are unworthy coming in. Maybe he just wanted to be lingering near the thing, the one, the majestic glory of God, and he didn't want to leave the presence of God unattended. What if we were a people that in our busy, hectic, chaotic lives with so much responsibilities and things to do and kids to raise and things to work and, and places to go and things to buy and build and all the things that life gives us, what if we were a people that when we came and gathered in the presence of this congregation and we experienced the tangible presence of God, that we didn't leave that presence, that we lingered in that presence throughout the week? What if we were in that presence while we went to Walmart and when we got up in the morning we were already there, wait, the presence was there, we were going to linger with it? What if when we came home from a busy life and we were got to cook supper and do the dishes and the laundry, we were still lingering in the presence, not just from Sunday but from Monday and from Tuesday and from Wednesday and Thursday? What if we were people that want to attend to the presence of God and said, God, we are, there's all kinds of responsibilities we have, Lord, but our number one chief responsibility is to linger and remain in in the presence of God. Before my work schedule, before my calendar requests, before all the to-dos I have to do, God, my number one responsibility, my number one gain, I want to be a pursuer of your presence. That was Joshua. You know, that was the essential trait I believe God used and saw in his life that allowed God to raise up a man like Joshua to replace a man like Moses. He looked at that young boy and said, there's a young man who's pursuing my presence. Remember what we said in Proverbs, I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. When Joshua positioned his life to pursue the presence of God, God said, I'm going to show this young man my glory. Joshua would be the one that would take that presence into the promised land. Come on, somebody. Man, God wants to get you where He wants to take you. He wants you to get to where He wants to take you. And His presence is the number one thing that's going to get you there. Oswald Chambers, uh, oh, sorry, Oswald Sanders said this, Every one of us is as close to God as He has chosen to be. Every one of us is as close to God as you want to be. Because Jesus, thank God, didn't remain veiled in a tent the Bible says He left His home above and came to tabernacle to dwell among us because He wanted that tent to be inside of you. He wanted that tent of meeting to be you, that you are the tent of meeting. When you get up in the morning and you're about to make your scrambled eggs and your grits, come on somebody, I mean you should have amen in the south on grits, right? Uh, you, you're, you're, you're the tent of meeting. You are the place where God desired to dwell. And He's come not to be outside of a tent of Israel, not to stay on a mountain, not to be in a holy place veiled behind a tabernacle. He wants to be in the midst of His people, in the midst of you, and you have got to determine, am I a Joshua? Am I a person who doesn't want to leave the presence of God unattended in my life? I want to be a person that lingers all week long in the presence of God. Let me give you the last five, six things, six traits, six, six essential qualities of people who are pursuers of His presence, people who see God move in their life. We gave you one through five last week. That was faith, holiness, prayer, kingdom-minded people, and unity. 
Number six is this, lovers of truth. Lovers of truth. You know, it's easy to argue about all kinds of things, not only just life issues, but especially church issues and doctrinal and denominational issues. It's easy to argue those things when you're focused on those things. It's easy to argue on denomination when I'm focused on denomination, or doctrine when I'm focused on doctrine. But what's true? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Somebody say truth. That means a person who loves Jesus loves the truth. And when Jesus is the truth, the Bible says He sets men free. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if you knowing and pursuing truth, it's going to lead to freedom and to life, like we said, life more abundantly. And lovers of truth, that means there are people who love to see people free from sin and self-works, free from inequality and oppression and division. It's hard to divide God's house when you're focused on Jesus because He's the great unifier. The Bible says He broke down the wall of separation, the separation between God and men, and the separation between men and men. There's no more separation. So Jesus is the unifier of God's people. If you love truth, you love unity. You know that when He lights up all the Bible, you know every book of the Bible is about Jesus. Jesus is the son of Eve who would crush the serpent's head. He's the promised son of Abraham. He's the covenant rainbow. He's the ark of, of Noah. He's with Daniel in the lion's den. He's the giant, uh, the giant slayer of David. He's the son who built the tabernacle of the temple Solomon. He is everything. Everything is for him, through him, and to him. He's before all things. In him all things are held together. And if you love Jesus, you'll pursue him. If you love Him, it's going to be all about Him. I love people whose lives are all about Jesus. Me and uh, Craig have this honest, open relationship, and we were talking this week. He's like, man, if we just keep focused on Jesus, it doesn't matter all the differences that we have. We're just going to preach Jesus and see people saved. That's what this is all about. That's what this whole thing is all about. It's all about Him. It's not about Daniel. It's not about Obadiah. It's not about Haggai. It's not about Jonah. It's not about Adam. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about Brother Craig. It's not about Miss Evelyn. It's all about Jesus. It's not about Sanctuary or Nolly or First Baptist, Second Baptist, Third Baptist. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. And I love people who are lovers of truth. I think there's too many people arguing about a Jesus they aren't abiding in. Too many people arguing about a Jesus they're not abiding in. What do I mean? Joshua remained in the presence. What did Jesus say in John 15? He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. No one can bear fruit of their own unless you remain or abide in me. If you abide in me, I'll abide in you. And my Father will do great things with you. We'll bring our dwelling place. We'll come and make our home with you. That's the tabernacle. That's the glory of God. People who abide. That word is in the Greek, M-E-N-O-S. It means to remain. People who remain in Him, who linger in Him, who are taking the sap and nutrients of His glory into their life. And they says, we come and make our abode with people like that. People who pursue Jesus, who love Jesus, who are Jesus-focused. They're not denominationally focused. They're not pastor-focused. They're not program-focused. They're not even people-focused. They're presence-focused. People who are presence-focused. They're lovers of truth. You know, if you're satisfied only to pursue Jesus one or two Sundays a month, you're happy in the dim light of the moon. If you are quick to divide over doctrinal opinions, we're happy in our dim light of the moon. 
But here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. If we but with all unveiled faces would behold the glory of the Lord, we would be transformed from glory to glory. Get your eyes on Jesus. It's all about Him. Uh, my name is going to come and go. Nobody will remember me in three generations. This church can come and go. Nobody will remember it in three generations. But Jesus lasts forever. We got to get our eyes on Jesus. It's all about Him. And I want to be a lover of truth. I want to be a lover of Jesus. And we just want to preach Jesus and exalt Him, and He lifts us up. Let's abide in Jesus. Like what Paul said, Oh, that I may know Him. That I may know Him. Do you love Jesus? Do you really love Jesus? That's number six. Number seven is the fasted life. Fasted life. You know, fasting, uh, we're going to do fasting here the next week. Uh, we take a week every, every year in January to just focus on God for, uh, for our new year. And fasting normally means absence from food. It's giving up something to take that time to pray. Jesus, Elijah, Moses, they all fasted 40 days and nights, which is crazy. My former youth pastor years ago, he fasted 40 days. Came like a stick. Man, he had to go to the doctor just to kind of stay alive. Uh, fasting can be some serious stuff. Jesus said that fasting can break down spiritual walls. There was this demonic boy uh, who was overcome, and the disciples couldn't cast anything out. He says, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. You've got to have a life cultivated in the presence of God. Fasting is more, though, than just a diet. If you're just giving up food, but you're not replacing it with pursuing the presence of God, it's just the newest Christian fad. It's just dieting. But fasting is meant to make you more like Jesus. Uh, think about the Pharisees. They fasted multiple times a week, but it was all to be noticed. And Jesus said, don't fast to be noticed by man, but by God. You know, it's easy to make our Christianity all about what I do and don't do. But Christianity is really more about dying and living. It's not about doing and not doing. It's about dying and living. And fasting helps crucify the natural man. But there's more to it than that. It's really about the fasted life. I love this. Anytime people talk about fasting, I tell them to go look at Isaiah 58. Here's what it says, just paraphrasing for time. It says, God begins to rebuke Israel because they got all the fasts, they got all the programs, they got all the things going on, but their hearts are far from Him. And He says, here's the fast that I require. Loosen the bonds of wickedness in your city. Undo and break the yokes of the oppressed. Let them go free. Feed the hungry. Help the afflicted. Shelter the homeless. Clothe the naked. And don't turn your back on your family in need. That's the fast God says He requires. Because what's the point of all the busy religious activity if you don't become like the presence you're pursuing? That presence has to be in you and become one with you. You're like, I want to be like Jesus. I just want to know about, a lot of people know about Jesus, but they don't mean they're like Jesus. He says the fasted life means you become like me. Remember that judgment in Matthew 25? Jesus says, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. He said, hey, God, when do we ever do that? He says, you did it to the least of these. You did it unto me. That's the true Christian fast. And then here's the promise, Isaiah 58, 8. If you begin to cultivate your life for the presence of God, he said, here's his promise. Then your light, remember what glory is, your light, the glory that's coming out of you, will radiate, will break out like the dawn. And your recovery will spring steadily forth. And your righteousness will go before you. And here's the, here it is. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. 
Man, it says the glory of God will shine from you, and it will radiate around you. It will go before you, behind you. He says when you cultivate a life that is pursuing and becoming uh, more into the presence of God, you look like the Jesus you serve. His glory will just be all around you. That's His promise to you. Fasting is like this. How many people love steak? Five of you. Oh, wow. No, not really. I see. Okay, now you slow. There you wake up this morning. I, I'm not a, I don't like the, the fat, the gristle. I'm not one that wants to chew for 20 minutes on one piece of meat, okay? Uh, so I, uh, unless you're uh, very wealthy nowadays, you have, you have to go for the lower choice. Uh, but you cut off that fat and get to the good stuff. That's fasting. I want to cut off the stuff in my life that's not necessary, that just slows me down from getting to the good stuff in God. Anything that keeps me from His presence, that TV, that entertainment, that television, whatever it is, that attitude, maybe some people that are, pers- that are in the way from me getting into the good stuff of God. My routine, cut it back to get into the presence of God. My busy Saturdays and Sundays, cut it back to get into the presence of God. My morning routine is so hectic and busy, cut things back to get into the presence of God. That is the idea of a fasted life. Cut away those things. You are the redeemed. You're the purchased of God. You are temples of the Holy Spirit. That's what Romans says. Give yourself completely to God for you are dead. You have new life. So use your body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Am I cutting things out of my life to keep getting to the good stuff that's in God? Somebody say taste and see. Man, it's good. God's good. Next is this. Lovers of truth, fasted life, number eight. Prophetic people. Prophetic people. Numbers eleven twenty nine. Moses says to this young man, Joshua, sometime later, Moses is weary over leading the people. He asks God, I need some help. This burden is too much to bear. I need some spiritual advisors to help lead these people. The Bible says that Fire fell from the glory of God onto the 70 elders. Even two didn't make it. (laughs) They were sleeping in from church. And they, in their own city, in the camp, it fell on them there. And Joshua says, whoa, 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 what's going on? These people aren't part of this. And Moses says, are you jealous for my sake? Oh, would that all, somebody say all, all the Lord's people were prophets that the Lord would put His Spirit upon them. Somebody say, upon them. Moses' prayer came true. God loved that man. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says the Holy Spirit fell upon the early church. God poured His Spirit out on the church. And Peter says that He made us into be a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for His own possession. You are priests, intercessors for the world to come to know Him. And you and I can't do that. And just like the, the anointing was transferred from Moses to the 70 elders, just like it was transferred from Elijah and the mantle fell onto Elisha, that mantle, that anointing, that power fell upon the early church. It was meant for a reason, because you and I can't be the church without Him. Jesus says, here's the task, go make disciples. I don't have the power to do that. I can't do that. I can't speak in front of people. I, you don't know. I took Pepto-Bismol just to take speech class. I'm telling you, I just to ride the bus to school, I had severe anxiety to be in crowds and around people. I can't do this job without the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You and I can't fulfill the task to go into the nations and reach the lost and make disciples to see people healed, delivered, set free, to turn addicts back into saints. We can't do that without the power of God. And Jesus said, here's what you're going to do. And Luke, he says, wait, you'll receive power from on high. The promise of the Father is coming. He breathes the Holy Spirit on them in John 20. He says, wait till you receive the power. It's going to clothe you. What does a mantle do? What does clothing do? It comes upon you. It's that mantle of position and anointing that God gave His prophets now goes to His church. He says, there's a power that comes with being the church of Jesus Christ. It's a power that Christ had. The same Holy Spirit that raised Him from the dead comes inside of you. And He gives you power. He says, these signs are going to follow those who believe. They're going to do great things in my name. They're going to lay their hands on the sick. They're going to recover. They're going to handle deadly things. And it's not going to hurt them. They're going to speak with new tongues. They're going to do great things. And these signs are going to follow. Greater works are you going to do, being the whole corporate church, than just one man could do. See, Jesus, if he stayed on the earth, he was just one man. But what if, what if we did this? Let's make a nation of prophets. Let's make a nation, a whole kingdom, where Moses said every person can be used by God. Every person can have the power of God activated in their life. Every person can hear God's voice and speak what they feel God is saying to their friends, their co-workers, their neighbors, their families. Church, this isn't about denomination. It's not about a certain specific gift of evidence. It is about being a people who are anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit to reach a lost and dying world before He comes again. That's what this is all about. We can divide it up and compartmentalize it all we want. We need to be more prophetic as a people. That means to hear God's voice and speak that word to a lost and dying generation. I want to be the people God died for me to be. Christianity is not meant to be natural. If that was true, any man could do it. But it's meant to be supernatural. Even Paul said over his church in Corinth in chapter 14, verse 5, he says, Now I wish you all spoke in tongues, but even more, that you would prophesy. That means that when a, he says when a lost person comes into your midst, they'll leave that place and say, Surely God was in this place. Surely God was in this place. Surely there was something spiritual happened. The glory of God came in that place, and I felt about all the sin I'd ever done, but yet I felt the love of God come over me, and there was a tangible presence. It wasn't just a bunch of people showing up to sing some songs and listen to a pick-me-up message. God's presence was in that place, and people were being used by God, and I felt there was something. It was the glory of God. That was in the midst of that church. How we need the prophetic Holy Spirit of God again in His church. Number nine is rest. Rhythm of rest. People who see the glory of God rest in God. Isaiah 58, verse 13. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy. Somebody say, enjoy. Enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight. Delight is our Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath and everything you do on that day. Don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then, 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 then the Lord will be your delight and He'll give you great honor. He'll satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. Maybe sometimes we're not receiving all that God has promised. Maybe sometime we're not pursuing the delight of the Lord's presence is because we haven't prioritized resting in the Lord. We haven't prioritized pursuing His presence even on the Lord's day. 
You see, before the fall and before the law of Moses, before the, before the Ten Commandments, there was already a Sabbath. Some people look at the Sabbath day and they say, well, we don't have that anymore. We're New Testament Christians. Well, do you have the other nine Ten Commandments? Okay, there's that. You still believe in don't murder and adultery and covet and all that kind of stuff. What happened to the, the other one? Sabbath day. Keep it holy. The big four. Before murder and before adultery, he said, keep the Sabbath holy. Keep one day a week, one day a week, one day in seven as consecrated to the Lord for the Lord's purpose. And he says there in Isaiah, don't pursue your own interests on that day. Speak of that day with delight, honor in everything you do. Don't do your own things on that day. Don't talk idly about other people on that day. Come on, somebody. And he says, then the Lord's going to be your delight. And he's going to give you everything he promised because you're why? You're pursuing his presence. You're trusting in him. You're waiting in him. You're resting in him. Just think about this. When he made the world, he made the Sabbath day. Before the fall of sin, he still commanded the Sabbath. It's in the DNA of man to need one day off a week. It's in the DNA of the world. It's every perfect civil society. You can look at our nation and begin crumbling when we stop taking the Sabbath day off. Crime rays, abortion rays, all this kind of stuff happens. When we stand not pursuing or prioritizing the presence of God as a nation. Busy, 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 workaholics, burning ourselves out, depression, pills, overeating, all this other stuff we begin doing. You see, just like all the other serious nine, it's not a commandment. It's, it's a commandment, not a suggestion. It's still no less important today to give God. Is it about a certain day? No. This is not religious or legalism, but it's still just as important. Remember what he said about murder? He takes it in the New Testament. He says, well, let's just not focus on murder. Let's talk about hate. You're talking about adultery? Let's not just talk about do's and don'ts of adultery. Let's talk about lust. Sabbath. Take one day a week off. The rest, give your life to the Lord. It's not about a day or time or 24-hour period. It's about faithfulness. Trusting God that He can do more with your six days than you can do with seven. He can do more with your 90% your 90 than you can with 100. I tithe with my money. I want to tithe with my time. I want to trust God. And a Sabbath is not about being in this building. A Sabbath is a lifestyle of trusting and waiting on the Lord. Psalm says, those who wait on the Lord will not be put to shame. Those who wait on the Lord will what? Will be mounted up with wings like eagles. Those who trust and cultivate a life of even in the checkout line when their kids are screaming and this lady can't ring this thing up for the 10th time, I'm resting in the Lord. Come on, somebody. Rest in the Lord. Come on. Rest. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Are you busy and overwhelmed and overworked? Rest in the Lord. Do you enjoy the Sabbath day? And is it holy, set apart to God? My Sabbath, I'll be honest, my Sabbath is every Friday. If I can't, if I end up working on Friday, I'm going to make it Saturday. And one day a week, I'm not going to answer emails. I'm not going to get on social media. I'm not going to go into the office. I'm not going to work on things unless I enjoy them or be time with my family. To cultivate a life that, God, I got so many to-dos. I got three types of lists of to-dos. I don't have no idea. Lists within lists of to-dos. Just to turn that off and say, God, you are bigger than me. You made the world in six days. Come on. Can't he do something with your calendar and your schedule? Can't he get those things done? Trust the Lord. Lastly is this. Servitude. 
Matthew 23, 11, The greatest among you shall be your servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, uh, we know that Jesus said the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Uh, you know, our nature, though, is to be self-centered. You and I all, when we come to an argument, we automatically assume we're right. I don't know if you know this or not, but we do. We assume our position is correct until we're proven otherwise, right? Uh, me and my wife have gotten good at this. I think I'm right, find out I'm wrong, and then I'm going to go on. <laughs> you know, that's how that works. Uh, you assume you're right. Our natural tendency is to be selfless, uh, self uh, first. When we see someone, we, you know, you automatically think more better of yourself. You're quick to think better of yourself, and you're quick to think ill of somebody else. We rarely give people the benefit of the doubt first. We're quick to jump to judgment. Why? That's just part of our fallen nature. So when we come to a church, what do we have to do? We have to work extra special hard to be last place. We have to work extra special hard. When you come to this room, there's not one person better than anybody else, pastor included. There's not one person closer to God than anyone else. If you're saved, you're as close to God as He is to you. It says that uh, when you're in this church, there's not a pastor versus people. There's not teacher versus student. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. In this church, when you come and you want to lead a group, it means that you have to agree you're going to do it for the sake of other people and not for yourself of privilege and position. And if we serve on a team, I'm not here to get an attaboy or a thank you. And I hope that you do get attaboys and I hope you do get thank yous. And we're going to cheer and champion you on because that's our responsibility. But my responsibility is I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm not doing this because people pay me a certain amount. We're not doing this because people praise us. We're not doing this to gain any reputation of position or power. We're doing this to be servants of the Most High God. There was not a lot of amens on that one. We're doing this for Him. And to lead means I give up my life to serve selflessly without any desire for recognition or reciprocation. We're not here for give and take. We're not here for attaboys. We're here to glorify Him. Remember what Jesus said, don't throw a party for those who invite you in return, but instead invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. He says, do things in your life for people who can't do things for you. Then you'll know you're doing it for the right reason. Man, we don't preach that verse. I don't think I've ever heard in 30 years a sermon on that right there. Have a party for people who can't ever throw you a party back. Do things for people, and don't let nobody know, by the way, Facebook, for people who can't do nothing for you and don't tell nobody. Do it for the Lord. Serve at a door greeter. Be a youth worker. Be a kids worker. Come here and clean. Pick up trash. Do whatever. Do something in this community. Do it for the glory of God without any, any, any desire for anyone to say anything about it. And then you'll know you're doing it for Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Joshua went to that place. I'm closing. He went to that place. He just wanted to be near the presence of God. He was serving the man of God. He was serving the presence of God. And then guess what happened? God lifted him up to lead that nation and take those people to the promised land. God loves to use humble people like Gideon who don't think they can do anything. Moses who can't speak, who can't talk, who went away, thought he was shamed and his life was over, but he humbled himself. God, I can't do this. God, don't take us from this place unless your presence go with us. I can use people like that. God exalts people, and he says, those who humble themselves in the sight of the Lord, he lifts them up. What does he lift them up to? More power, fame, and position? No. 
He lifts them to Himself. See, that's their desire to begin with. I never read that verse that way. But those who humble themselves in the sight of the Lord, He will lift them up. He's not lifting them up above other people. He's not lifting them up to get more fame and reputation or power and money. He's lifting them up to say, come up here with me. Man, that's the desire. I want to be a pursuer of His presence. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? He will lift you up. God is always desiring to give you more of His glory. You're as close to God as you want to be. Are you a person who wants to linger in the presence of God all week? Say, God, I I am, but Lord, there's so many things that keep me from it. There's so many things. I want to cultivate a life. Lord, maybe it's the fasted life. Lord, show me what to cut away to be a person that lingers in your presence. Father, I want to be a pursuer of your glory. Maybe you're here today, and you need to get your life right with Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. You're not saved. You're